morning, Crossmore. You may have a seat. So great to see everyone. I'm certainly happy to be here, and what, a, what an honor to raise up our voices together with our worship team in order that we would proclaim God's greatness and goodness towards us. So always grateful for our worship team. <clears throat> want to welcome you. For those of you that are here, obviously, welcome. For those of you joining us online, we are grateful that you You've joined us. We're appreciative of the fact that we're able to uh, show our services online for people that are either sick or aren't able to make it. I know several of you that are probably watching right now aren't uh, feeling very well. You've let us know that. So praying for you and hoping that we see you back here shortly. I have a couple of announcements that I want to share with you. One is growth groups. I mentioned it last week, but if you saw the uh, newsletter from last night, uh, it talks about <clears throat> registration for, for the fall uh, trimester opening up in a couple of weeks. So I want to encourage you to consider that. If you don't know what I'm talking about, there's about 80, 90 of us <clears throat> that during the week meet once a week. Normally, some people meet at church. There's one group that meets online, and then the rest of us meet at different homes during the week. And what we do is we have a curriculum. In my case, on Tuesday nights, we study, we're studying First and Second Peter for this trimester, and it's just a, it's a great time for, for us to build friendships and uh, over the Word and have fellowship and get to know one another, build each other up, pray for one another, help one another, because that's, that's how we're going to grow. So we call them growth groups, and the purpose of it is for us to grow spiritually. We believe that doing that in community is really the way to go. So I want to encourage you, think about it, pray about that. Um, Give it a shot if you never have. For some of you, I would imagine if you've never done a growth group, it probably sounds maybe a little bit strange going to somebody's house and studying the Bible. But actually, when you read the Bible, that's exactly what they did uh, when the church started. Every day they would get together, go to people's houses, share a meal, and pray together and study the Word. Uh, so that's what we're trying to do. And we want to we encourage you to join us in doing that. I think you'll be blessed by that. So... Young adults and youth group are planning a trip to the Grand Canyon. That's coming up at the end of this month. Uh, today at 1020, they're going to have a meeting, kind of mandatory because the time is here. So if you're interested in going, if you're planning on going, you need to be there. Uh, parents who might have young ones that uh, either have questions or need to do whatever final uh, signing or, or what have you, 1020 today, we'd like to see you. And I, I want to thank the, the youth group leaders and the young adult leaders for putting this together. I know it's, it's always a blessing. It's always been a blessing when we take the time to go. I think they leave Thursday, come back Sunday. And um, it's, it's, it's a blast, but it's also a very spiritually enriching experience. So we'd encourage you to consider attending that if you're that age group. So pretty much anybody from middle school to 30-ish. All right. I think that's it for announcements. So I'd like to take communion with you. If you didn't grab one of these on your way in, but you need one, just raise your hand, and we'll have somebody come around and, and give you one. Just raise your hand nice and high. And what I want to do, I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 as we prepare to take communion here together. And in this portion, the Apostle Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, and he's instituting the Lord's Supper. Starting in verse 23. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23, the Apostle Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So when we take communion together here, when we gather on a Sunday morning, we think it's a very special occasion. Right? We have all of us gathered 
we're gathered because of the fact that we've been redeemed. We recognize that our sins have been forgiven, and we realize that that has been accomplished through what Jesus Christ did for us at the cross and nothing else. We bring nothing into that equation. And as we sit here together, we rejoice in that. And we want to remember that. We want to remember what Jesus Christ did for us at the cross. And we also want to proclaim it. And I love the fact that Paul says, until he comes. So we will continue to do this. At this church, we, opt, we, we choose to do it every week. And, and let us not make it into just a ritual, but something that really uh, grounds us on this first day of the week as we begin a new week that it would ground us, that it would affect our lives, knowing that the most important thing that has ever happened to you and me happened 2,000 years ago at the cross by God in the flesh taking our place at the cross. And so as you peel back the first layer here, you have the bread that is symbolic and it reminds us of the body of our Lord Jesus Christ that was given for us. Let's take it together. As you peel back the second layer, you have the Jews that represents the blood of our Lord, the very price for all of your sins and mine. You take that together. So let's go ahead and stand as you know, for the last several months, we've been uh, wanting to kind of go back to some of our Christian roots and sing some of these traditional hymns. So today we're going to sing a hymn that's probably very familiar to a lot of you, but at the same time, I know for some of you it might be a new thing, To God Be the Glory. So we're going to sing it three weeks starting today, and um, if you know it, sing it nice and loud. If you don't, get familiar with it, listen to what it says, and we'll sing that together, a cappella. They're going to lower my, here we go. To God be the glory, great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life an atonement for sin, and opened the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory, great things he has done. O perfect redemption, the purchase of blood, to every believer the promise of God, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory, great things he has done. Amen. What an awesome hymn. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to you for all of your blessings, for allowing us to be here this morning, for your word, for your love, and for your son. What he did for us at the cross of Calvary some 2,000 years ago not only has transformed our lives, but it gives us the hope and the assurance of eternal life, and for that we are grateful. Thank you for everybody who's here. For those joining us online, we're grateful. We thank you. We pray that as we open up your word and spend this time in it, that you, Holy Spirit, would teach us, guide us, and transform us, that we would be ever more like your son, Jesus, our Lord, for your honor and glory. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You may be seated. Sounding like you were very familiar with that hymn. Very good. We'll sing it two more, two more weeks. And uh, what a blessing. The, the, the doctrine, the theology in these hymns are so important. I read something 
uh, this week. It said, uh, at church, today's music for our young people is tomorrow's theology. You know, what we sing at church, especially for young people as they're coming up, becomes our doctrine, what we believe. And so it's very important. I appreciate the more modern music that we sing together. And then at the same time, we don't want to lose uh, these, these awesome hymns that many of them have been sung for, for centuries. So that's, that's, that's great. This morning, as you know, we will continue our messages based out of Luke. And we're starting Luke chapter 8. Um, we're going to read uh, verses 1 through 3. And as I've told you before, sometimes as I'm reading, I, I, I don't have things scripted out as far as, you know, I know exactly what I'm going to preach in this chapter. But in the, in the coming weeks, as, as, for example, this Sunday, uh, I'm reading through the chapter, through, through Luke. And, and one of the hardest things is to know where to kind of cut off. You know, I want to I cover a lot, but then at the same time, if you cover a lot, then you miss so much good stuff. And so we're going to read a small portion today. Next week, it looks like we're going to read a, a much bigger portion when we talk about the different soils and that parable that, that our Lord teaches on. But today, we're going to look at something really interesting. The title of this morning's message is Supporting Kingdom Work. Supporting Kingdom Work. And one thing that I want to mention before I forget is, as you read through Luke, and I've encouraged you to read through Luke, right? I mean, we're reading, we're going through Luke. You have an opportunity to read ahead as much as you want. You, you have an opportunity to read Luke as many times as you want, or maybe chapter 8. We're going to be in chapter 8 probably for at least a month. And so you have an opportunity to, to read ahead. And as you read this, um, you're going to notice as you read through Luke how much Luke talks about women, how much Luke, the doctor, talks about giving and serving. So many of the stories that, that Luke presents in his gospel have to do with that. And Luke being, what we talked about at the beginning as the introduction, being a, no doubt a very compassionate individual, being a physician, um, you, that, that comes out. And so this morning, as we read verses 1 through 3, pay attention to that. Because Luke, what he does right now, he encompasses a large period of time. He, he's talking about something that the Lord does for a long period of time. And he talks about how his ministry is supported by, financially supported by, who would you think supported the Lord's physical ministry? Like, who paid? You know, the Lord was a carpenter, but at the age of 30, he walked away from that to do full-time ministry. And then he had all these disciples with him, and not just the 12, but many others with him. Like, who paid for all that? Who paid for their food and whatever necessities they had? Right? We know they had a, a treasurer, Judas. Well, that was not a very good uh, choice there, right, to have Judas as a treasurer. But what I'm saying is that every ministry, every ministry needs to be supported by someone. Right? And here, Luke is going to tell us how the Lord's ministry was supported. I found it fascinating. There's no way that we could skip over that or just lightly mention it because there's so much implications for us and applications. You know, we have a ministry here at Crosspoint, and it's supported by who? You probably know the answer. It's supported by you. It's supported by us. We don't get government help. We don't have special anything. It's like whatever we contribute we use that for the ministry. And I think it's, it's fascinating. So let me read that here in Luke. And as I read it, this morning's main point is this. We glorify God by contributing with what we have towards his work. One way that we glorify God is by contributing of what we have towards the Lord's work or the kingdom work. And so hopefully I know that God will speak to you. One of the things that I, I really, I was going to say enjoy, I don't know that I necessarily enjoy that, but I am pleased about, is that we rarely ever talk about money. I mean, I think I, I did a sermon some months back and talked about money. We didn't even collect an offering. I don't know if you guys have noticed, right? Ever since COVID kind of came around, we stopped passing the plate, and then after COVID is kind of gone, we got to kind of things back to normal. Uh, we have the option of giving online. There's an offering box out there. 
But we, we certainly do, nobody can accuse us of overemphasizing giving at the church. And at the same time, we don't want to be neglectful because kingdom work is done in part through the finances that people contribute. And I'm not just talking about Crosspoint. I want to encourage you, as part of the application here today, is kingdom work is certainly not limited to Crosspoint. And we've talked about this before. You know, you should really pay attention to what is God doing around me that I can contribute towards. And we get to do that. You don't have to do that. We get to do that. And last week we talked about this, this woman. Remember the sinner? How she gave of her most prized possession, this fragrant oil, this per- costly perfume to anoint the Lord's feet. And that's where we left off last week, that story ended chapter 7, and then Luke picks up, he didn't pick up chapter 8, the chapters and verses were added later, but Luke, right after that story, continues here in chapter 8 for us, verses 1 through 3, so let me read that, and keep in mind the main point, that we glorify God by contributing with what we have towards his work. So it says, Luke 8, verses 1 through 3 says, now it came to pass afterward that he, Jesus, went through every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come out seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for him from their substance. Very interesting. So here Luke says, look, the Lord went about. So he tells a story and then he narrates it and says, look, for a long time, we believe that the Lord had an earthly ministry of about three and a half years. Who supported him? Who financed it? Here Luke tells us, at the very least, in part, who did now, he doesn't say that, he did it from, that they did it from day one, but it's very likely that the Lord's ministry was financed through this group or people like them. And for a while, it says he went to every village and every town proclaiming the news, preaching the kingdom, and he didn't have to worry about going to work, finding out how he's going to not only feed himself, but his disciples and the people that followed him. Sure, every once in a while, he multiplied fish and bread and did miracles, and, uh, you know, thousands of people ate, but that wasn't the norm. The norm was they probably, somebody provided a meal for them, a regular meal, or they went over to McDonald's or whatever, and they bought some food, and somebody paid for that. And here Luke tells us that these women, he names three, and many others who provided for him from their substance— from their means, out of their own pocket. I find that fascinating, beloved. I mean, here is God in the flesh, and he allows these women to support him financially. I know there's nobody here like that, but, you know, there's some people out there who are so proud, they never allow anybody to do anything for them. Now, just kidding. Some of you guys are like that. I already know you. You go somewhere, they're like, here, let me pay for you. Oh, no. I got it. I'm not like that, by the way. Just in case you ever you want to take me out to dinner, if you want to pay for it, that's fine. Or I might pay for you. But I find it fascinating that the God of the universe, who is not short on cash, would allow these people to finance his ministry. How is his work done now? Beloved, the same way. How does Crosspoint continue existing? Very much the same way, by what every one of us contributes. And that's the way it's supposed to be. If, there's be, if there is kingdom work being done, somebody has to finance it. If we're all part of this work, then it is right that we would finance this work. And we're not going to get into how much should I give and do I have to tithe and do I have to tithe out of, you know, the money I found out in the street the other day? We've, we've already established that. 
I think it is biblically sound to say, give to the Lord what he deserves. And in fact, that is exactly what you give him, whatever he, you think he deserves. All right? And it's not just money, but it's time, it's your talent, it's your energy that you give to the Lord. So let's look at this portion. Let's kind of break it down. I do have three points that I want to share with you. And the three points are going to uh, complete this phrase. Kingdom work is supported by people that, point number one, that are transformed. People that are transformed. Who supports kingdom work? Transformed individuals. People that used to be all about ourselves. And I don't know about you. It depends on when you came to the Lord or where you're at spiritually. But if you came to the Lord, especially if you came to the Lord at a later age, as an adult perhaps, you can probably remember the time where you lived your life, I mean, according to whatever you thought was right and whatever you wanted to do. And so you bought the things that you wanted to buy and you used your money in whatever way you wanted to use it. And if you're like a normal individual, if you're the average individual prior to knowing Christ, you were probably very selfish. And you worried about yourself and maybe your family. But you did everything with your finances according to whatever you pleased. And it probably didn't include other people outside of yourself and maybe your immediate family. Yeah, a little bit here, a little bit there. But not like the type of giving that we see here in the Bible. The type of giving that we see in the Bible is done by people that have been transformed, that have gone from being selfish and greedy, egotistic, worrying about only about yourself, to people that now want to use what God has given us to bless other people and have kingdom work done. I think that's exciting. I think it's completely exciting. So, kingdom work is supported by people that, not just them, but now, Kingdom work is supported by people that are transformed. Um, all the women that we see here, it says, Luke says, let me read to you again, verse 2. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. So these women had something in common. They had all been touched by the Lord. They had been healed from infirmities or they have had demons cast out of them. There had been a transformation, a healing, and a personal touch from the Lord had occurred. They were no longer who they used to be prior to having known the Lord. There had been a transformation uh, that had occurred. It says that about all the women that are there. But Luke only tells us three of the women Two of which, one of which we know nothing about. That would be the last person that is mentioned here. That would be Susanna. She's only mentioned there, and then we don't know anything about her. The one prior to that would have been Joanna. And what we know about her is that she was the wife of a prominent servant, a steward of Herod's. That's all we kind of know about her. But the first person, the first woman that is mentioned there, we get more detail about. So I want to, I want to just kind of emphasize or talk a little bit about her, about Mary Magdalene. Now, you should know that tradition, what should, we, what should we believe about Mary Magdalene? The answer is whatever the Bible says. The reason why I say that is because some of us, if we came out of Roman Catholicism, you were probably taught something different about Mary Magdalene. But if you study the scriptures, you realize that you know, they, they, some people will say that Mary Magdalene is a woman that we just read about in the previous chapter that uh, washed the Lord's feet with her tears and, and, uh, and her hair. But there's nothing that, that would tell us that that is the case. Or they, they, they connect her with uh, other incidents, and, and I don't believe that's the case. So here, Mary Magdalene, the only thing that we are told about her is that out of whom had come seven demons. So this is a woman who had been demon-possessed by seven demons. And no doubt by the Lord's work and power, those demons had been cast out, and she was freed from that. And apparently after that, she dedicated her life to serving, 
following, and providing for the Lord. Isn't that awesome? A couple of things about Mary Magdalene, because she's also mentioned in a couple other places. We are told that she was present at the cross, John 19, verse 25. Remember at the cross, most of the disciples kind of fled when he was arrested? After they say, like, yeah, we'll die for you, we'll go anywhere. And then he gets arrested, and they all flee. And apparently only John kind of stuck around and saw what happened. But there was also some women that were there. Mary Magdalene was one of them. She was near the cross when the Lord was crucified. And apparently she stayed because it says that she knew where the Lord had been buried. So she probably stayed until Nicodemus uh, and the other guy, whom I can't remember his name, came up, asked for the body. And then they took it and they, they placed it in the tomb. Apparently she was there. She had nowhere better to go. She was there the whole time, and she knew where they had laid him. So that later, not only was she present at the cross, but she was actually the first one to see the risen Christ. What an honor, what a privilege. And the Lord, just being who he is, presents himself alive, risen from the dead to Mary Magdalene. You read that in John 20, verses 11 through 18. Do we have the time to read that? Let me read that. I think, it's, I think it's wonderful to be able to read this. I mean, just to see who she was, what the Lord does for her, and then her reaction uh, towards what the Lord did for her is something that I think we could learn from. So I'm going to read John 20, verses 11 through 18. These are not going to be on the screen. This is just the account of the Lord rising from the dead and appearing to Mary Magdalene. So it says in John 20, starting in verse 11, it says, But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and she wept. She stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head of the, uh, and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned around and said to him, Rabboni, which is translated teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. The first one to see the risen Lord. And then he tells her, go tell the rest of the guys that I am risen. And of course, if you read, I think, in Mark, it'll say that she went over there. They thought she was crazy. They didn't believe her. But the point is, here is Mary who had had an experience with the Lord, who was cleansed and delivered from seven demons. And for the rest of her life, as far as we can tell, dedicated her life to serving the Lord, to following him to financing and supporting the Lord's work. I think it's amazing. And for that, she was, I think, highly rewarded with the intimate, with the close relationship with the Lord to the point where he would reveal himself after being risen from the dead to her first. So kingdom work is supported by people that are transformed. <clears throat> Beloved, what we contribute to the Lord's work is a manifestation of what has occurred in us. It is, it is out of that fact that we have been transformed, delivered, saved, that we are to give to kingdom work. So think about that. I know there's a lot of young people here that one day, you know, you're going to start working, and then it's like, wow, do I have to give what? 10, 10%? What is it? Boy, that we would learn that from a young age. We want to give the Lord what he deserves. What does he deserve? As far as I'm concerned, he deserves more than what I can possibly give him. And so we don't want to fall into this, I think, terrible routine and mistake of thinking that whatever I earn, 
I just have to give them 10%, check off that box, and then do whatever I want with the rest. Beloved, everything that you have and everything that you are needs to be about glorifying God. And what that looks like in your checkbook is between you and the Lord. But we see wonderful examples here in the Word about people that were redeemed, that were transformed, and then out of that transformation, they just give. They just give. And as a result, kingdom work is done. So let me share with you a couple of verses. Look at Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2, talking about being transformed. Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2 says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. When you give to kingdom work, you're thinking about the spiritual things. You shouldn't be thinking, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give so that, you know, they can buy more stuff at the church or so we can support. Think about the kingdom work that's being done. The, the gospel is being preached here every Sunday morning. The growth groups that happen, this place that we get to meet in, it's not about the stuff. It's about the substance of the things that we see, the spiritual things, the eternal things how God is continuing to transform, to reach new people, transform lives. We get to be part of that as we give. Romans chapter 6, verse 4 says, Therefore, we are buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. There's got to be a transformation. How do you know you're a Christian? I have been transformed. I used to be like this. Now I'm like this. I used to think this way. Now I think differently. I used to be worried about the physical, temporal things. Now I don't care about those things. I care about the spiritual things. I walk by faith, not by sight. I am not the same individual. Last verse, Ephesians, chapter, Ephesians 4, verse 28 says, Let he, I've always been fascinated by this verse. <clears throat> Paul writing to Christians in Ephesus, he says, let him who stole steal no longer. Hey, if he used to steal in Ephesians 4.28, he says, stop stealing. Rather, let him labor, like get a job, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Why should you work? Why do you work? You're like, I don't work. All right, well, good. You should work, all right? Work is, is, is important. Work is something that God allows us to do. And this verse has so much to say. I don't want to stall here, but he says, if you used to steal or, or make money in an indecent way, stop doing that. That's sinful. Stop it. He says, but get a job. Working with your hands, what is good? And especially when working with young people, what should I do? Well, do something meaningful. Do something that's going to be good, not just to make money, but something good that's going to contribute to the benefit of our society or other people around you. Find a good job. And then he says, for what? So that you can have money to give someone else who has need. Paul is, in one verse, he says so much. Stop sinning or making money in an indecent way. Get a job, something meaningful, so that you can have money, so you can spend it on yourself. No. So that you can share it with somebody who has need. Or so that, or so that you could invest it in kingdom work. Isn't that great? If you never thought about why you work, maybe that will help you wake up tomorrow morning when you get to work, stop being all grumpy, and go to work like, yes, I get to go to work, do something meaningful. And, and if you don't have any of that, then get another job. Pray for one. I'll tell you story after story what God is doing among us. Let's continue. Because kingdom work is supported by people that are transformed but also point number two, that are thankful, that are thankful. Later on, we're going to read a story. I'll just quickly mention about these lepers that were all healed by the Lord. And how many returned to give thanks? Oh, you guys forgot? One. That's right. Just one. Just, and the Lord says, hey, what about the rest? Bunch of ungrateful individuals. There is a possibility that even us as Christians, as transformed individuals, there's a possibility that we don't show 
that gratitude in how we give to kingdom work. So I believe it's possible that you can be transformed, but highly inconsistent. You can be a believer and still be greedy with your money. That's dangerous, beloved, because then how do you know that you are transformed if you still have the love of money? But when you find yourself wanting to give, not because the pastor said it, or not because some, you know, evangelist or somebody proclaiming to be a, a, a pastor or a teacher kind of coerces you to do it or manipulates you to do it, or makes you feel bad if you don't give. But when it comes out of you to want to give, like, man, the Lord blessed me. I want to help what's going on here at Crosspoint. Hey, I found out somebody has money. They lost a job. Let me see how I can help. Boy, when you see that type of evidence in your life, you should be grateful to the Lord. If you're still thinking like, man, do I really have to give? And boy, we did get a raise, but do we have to give from that too? Or do we have, like, you're not in a good, when you're thinking that way, let me just tell you, you're not in a good place. But when you could come and just say, Lord, everything that I have is yours, Guide me in how I should use it. Who should I give? Who should I bless? And don't be surprised if the Lord doesn't allow you to outgive him, which you never will. But, beloved, my experience has been that the little generous that I am, the Lord just shows me, look, if you're willing to give, I got so much more than you. I got so much more than you. And it has nothing to do with how much you have or how much you don't have. God is not interested in what you don't have. He's only interested in what you do have. And again, it's not just money. Some of you guys have a lot of the most important commodity there is in the universe, and that is time. Use your time wisely. Give it to the Lord. So much that we can give and do. So, but, but kingdom work is only supported by people that are transformed and that are thankful. And we see that through their actions. Here's Mary Magdalene, and she stands out from the group. Why? Seven demons. I don't even know what that, I don't even want to know what that's like. To have seven demons cast out of you, to be in that type of bondage to the enemy, and then to be released of that, to be freed from that. For her, it caused a great deal of gratitude, and she was thankful, and she showed that gratitude through her actions. Nobody could look at her and say, like, man, she's so ungrateful. You know, the Lord did that for her. And everybody would look at her and say, like, why? Why did she give so much? And, and the Lord told us that in the previous chapter that we looked at last week when he's teaching this Pharisee. And he says, you know, somebody who's been forgiven much loves much. And we see that exemplified here with Mary Magdalene. She was thankful. We need to be thankful, beloved. We can't just feel like, oh, you know what, I, I got Jesus in my heart now, and that's really nice, it feels really good, and, and, uh, and I'll just go about my business, right? Just continue being just as selfish as I was before. There's all these needs around me, but hey, it's their fault, you know, they will go to school and do better for themselves. And, 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 and it's not easy, you know, sometimes people come and they ask for help, and you're thinking like, man, if you weren't making all those bad choices, you wouldn't be in this situation, but if, if that's the case, if we take that attitude, beloved, we're never going to help anyone, right? Because every, all of us could do better, and we would be better off, right? So don't worry about that. We saw that attitude in the, the sinful woman who didn't care about the Pharisee who had more money than her for sure, who didn't even anoint his head with oil. She was willing to give her per, costly perfume to the Lord for the Lord's feet. Don't worry about what everybody else is doing. You give to the Lord out of gratitude, let me show you a couple of verses that have to do with gratitude. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 14. I see they're not on the screen here. I apologize for that. It says, but who am I, David said. David says, who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. Take, take a look at that. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 14. Remember David wanted to build the Lord a house, a temple. And the Lord said, like, nah, you spilled too much blood. I'll let your son build it for me, Solomon, but you get all the goods together. And though he, he proclaims it, then people just start giving and giving in abundance more than what they needed to build that temple. And, and, and listen to what David says, says, who am I? 
And who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? Just like the woman from last week, David didn't even feel worthy of giving to the Lord. Boy, if our attitude is like, Lord, here, oh, are you watching? Here we go. Yeah, everybody can see that? You know, the Pharisees used to do that. They used to bring their coins and just drop it so that everybody could hear. What hypocrisy. What shame. David's attitude was, Lord, who am I that you would allow me to give to you? I love it. Luke 19, verse 8. We're going we're gonna to be in Luke 19 in about a couple years. Uh, it says, then Zacchaeus, we're going to see that story. It says, Zacchaeus <clears throat> stood and said to the Lord, look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anybody by false accusation, I restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus has an encounter with the Lord, and immediately, without anybody telling him, he says, half of my money, half of my estate, I'm going to give it to the poor. Wow. I didn't see the Lord say, no, 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 that's more than tithing, that's more than 10%. What are you doing? He doesn't do that. And we're going to see lots of stories like that. Lastly, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, Paul says to the church in Corinth, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. He's talking about money. Read the context of that section. And, and he says, the Lord will give you enough so that you have enough for every good work around you. How exciting to be in a position in your life where you're thinking, everything that I have is the Lord's and I'm a steward of it. I'm responsible for it. But he wants me to use it for his kingdom work and to be able to say, I don't have much. But whatever I have, I want to use it wisely for God's glory. Lord, guide me. And to, to live expecting the Lord to show you how to use your money, your time, and your talent, your energy for his kingdom is, you know, none of us know exactly what that is fully, but those of us that have decided to follow the Lord, and many of you have, and to serve him, you've experienced that. And I believe there's no better way to live, beloved, just to know that the Lord is interested in the little bit that I have, and he's pleased in allowing me to give to his work, and for me to find out what that is and see him working through what he's given me is a blessing. It's awesome to live that way. Kingdom work is supported by people that are transformed, that are thankful, and that work together. I think this is really important, that work together. So we see these women following the Lord. We see the 12 disciples. And at times they used to argue, right? They used to be kind of, had some silly conversations. At times they would ask the Lord, you know, they're like fighting amongst themselves. And it's like, well, you ask them, all right, Lord, when you get to your kingdom, can I be number one? And they were all fighting about stuff like that. So they weren't perfect people, but they were willing to stay together, and they followed the Lord, and their personal differences and their different characters, didn't allow, they didn't allow those things to break them up and divide them. And I think it's really important for us to consider that. Here are these women, and they were, they were together for a long time. It says the Lord went from village to village. They didn't just do one village and like, nah, that didn't work out. I didn't like how that went. I'm out of here. From village to village to town to town together supporting the work. I can assure you that they had issues and some drama every once in a while. But they understood that what they were doing had spiritual and eternal implications. You have to have the same mentality. If we're going to do something meaningful in God's kingdom, in God's work, we have to work together, beloved. You have to, we have to be able to work together um, it's not easy. It's much easier to work by yourself and not depend on anybody else. And, you know, because all of us think we're all that in a bag of chips and we find it hard to work with other people. But that says a lot about you. If you can't work with others, if you just criticize others, if nobody meets your standards, you've got to be careful with that because all that does, it divides us. And then you take your, your goods and you take your resources and then they take... The, and we can never put them together. And we start putting our resources together when maybe Mary Magdalene couldn't have supported the kingdom work that the Lord was doing by herself. But with the other women, they were able to put together out of their own means the little bit that they had 
so that the work could continue. And beloved, nobody here can support Crosspoint by themselves. I don't think. Maybe so. Doesn't matter. But I can tell you that Crosspoint exists and continues to do the work that we do because of the little bit or a lot that we put together as a group, as we work together. And we have to be careful with that. We have to strive to keep the unity of the faith, Paul says in Ephesians 4. That's not the norm. Even for us as redeemed individuals, we still have our pride, we still have our arrogance, we still have our way of doing things, and we don't like the way the elders use, allocate the money, and why don't we do that? And why? you got to be careful with that stuff. If you ever have an issue, yeah, bring it up, of course. But if you're going around criticizing, feeling like, you know, everything we do is wrong, and, you know, those people, is, those, do we really need to have those big TVs? Is that where my money's going? It's not your money. It's the Lord's money. And we want to be directed by the Lord, and sometimes we'll make mistakes, I'm sure. But don't let the enemy get in the way of you working in isolation. Rather, let's work together to do something meaningful for God's kingdom. Your little bit plus my little bit and everybody else's little bit gets things done. Let me share with you some verses about working together. So transform, thankful, and together. Ephesians 4.16 says, From whom, that will be us, the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. There Paul is talking about the fact that every Christian is is a member of Christ's body. And when we all put our part, we are able to work together. The body of Christ is edified, and we, the church, can do kingdom work. In Acts chapter 4, verse 32, it says, Now, now, The multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Together, neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. That's how the early church began. We wondered, like, man, how did it explode? I mean, it started with with the Lord and then with 12 disciples and 120 people. And now millions and millions of people belong to the kingdom How did it grow? Much in part by the attitude of these early Christians. And how does it continue? How does it continue to grow? Much in part by our attitude and our willingness to be of one mind and be willing to work together in supporting kingdom work. Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, last verse. Ah, very interesting. The apostle Paul puts two women on blast as he did what we read last week when he put that Pharisee Simon on blast in front of his friends. Remember that? He looks at the woman and says, like, the Pharisees criticizing the woman because she was a sinner and touching the Lord's feet and kissing them and stuff. And the Lord looks at the woman as he speaks to Simon and says, Simon, you invited me to your house. You didn't wash my feet. You didn't give me a kiss. And you didn't anoint my head with oil. But this woman... Look at what he's done. And he said that in front of everybody, all his friends. He put him on blast. Paul, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, says, I implore Euodia, and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Here are two women that were having some drama going on amongst them. And he says, and I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labor with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Paul heard that there was drama going on between these two women. No, no, no doubt they, they were women of influence in the church. And Paul says in the letter, can you imagine sitting there? Let's get together. Paul wrote us a letter. And there's Syntyche and there is uh, the other lady, Iodia. And they're probably sitting apart from each other. And then they're reading the letter and all of a sudden her name is mentioned. And her name is mentioned. Help them to get along. Put on blast. 2,000 years later, we're still talking about those two women that were, that were having a hard time getting along. And as a result, the work was being affected. He says, we used to work together. What happened? Help those women get along so that we can get on with the work. We need to work together to do good kingdom work. 
I thought it was fascinating just kind of meditating over that section, um, reading that, um, kind of putting things in perspective, the fact that the Lord's work was financed through these, through these women who had been transformed, who were grateful and thankful, and who were willing to work together. I hope that speaks to you. I don't know what the Lord has for you exactly, but, beloved, we've all been given spiritual gifts, and we all have resources. The best thing you can do, and I believe if you're sincere with the Lord, you will never regret anything that you give to the Lord. And if you're fortunate enough to see how your giving affects other people's lives, you'll be super blessed. But don't be afraid to give. Give the Lord what He deserves. Understand that everything that we have, He's been given to us. And the one thing that money cannot buy, He already did for us at the cross. In dying for our sins, in paying for the price that you and I could never pay for, He did that freely. He became poor so that spiritually we could become rich. May the Lord bless you. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for Mary Magdalene and these other women who are an example to us in how they financed your work through your son, our Lord, here on earth. It's amazing. Um, we pray for forgiveness for the times that we have not used what you've given us for your kingdom and for your glory. We pray for forgiveness for that, and we also ask that you would give us understanding and wisdom and faith to trust in you that you are a shepherd, and we will never need anything, for you are a provider. Help us to be excited about the fact that, that you will be pleased in allowing us to give to your work. Pray that we would not be short-sighted and think it's just about money, but our time, so precious, our energy, our talents, that all of these things, no matter what they are, could be used for your honor and glory and for the benefit of your church. I'm grateful for everybody whom you've put together here at Crosspoint. Those here today and those online, I ask, Father, that you would bless us as we are dismissed. We pray this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. May God bless you, beloved. You're dismissed.